we're excited to talk about building content with AI and how it works and all of our highs and lows along the way. Uh, as Travis mentioned, Verblio builds a lot of content, 100,000 plus pieces in a year. And so we are hard at work trying to figure out how on earth that that should go in the world with AI. Um, and uh, this is what we've learned so far. Uh, we'll go really quick through the intro slides because Travis hit the, the high points for us. Uh, I am Verblio's Director of Content Marketing. Uh, I'm here for your hot takes. Uh, I, I love content. I've done all kinds of content way outside uh, your typical B2B ebook um, because I'm a recovering jazz musician. So I've mixed and mastered avant-garde jazz albums and submitted papers for peer-reviewed journals and done all kinds of weird stuff like that. Um, but I also really love marketing. So uh, that's how I came to be in this space. And I am Megan Skalbeck. Um, as Travis mentioned, used to be a freelance writer, also was a kind of left brain math nerd programming intern in a in a past life as well. Um, and I was doing content. I was a freelance writer for um, some of our Verblio clients, as well as my own private clients for a few years. I eventually joined our team, uh, internal marketing team. And about six months ago, uh, Verblio decided that my entire focus of my job now switched to AI and figuring out how we should be using it within the company. Um, and so that's been a, it's been a fun ride ever since. Uh, just so that we're really clear right up front, the goal here is to talk about building AI content at scale. Um, building content with AI kind of onesie twosie is a totally different animal. And there are a lot of workflows that that might be a great choice for that. And even tools that are a great choice for building an article or two at a time that we kind of had to immediately discard because we're talking about building lots and lots and lots of content. Um, at the same time, the goal here is to like show you everything we did and what we've learned from it so that you can do it yourself. Uh, full disclosure, yes, we sell this, but that's not what we're talking about in this webinar. We're we're here to show you what we did so that you can uh, you can learn from it. And along with that, I don't think we're going to convince you of anything with AI today. If you think that AI content is going to make every website have an infinite number of of pieces uh, and articles. I probably won't convince you that that's not a good idea. And if you think all AI content is terrible and will totally trash your rankings, I probably won't convince you that it will work. Um, if I convince you of anything, I, I hope it's that figuring out the best case for use case and the best method for hybrid content was a lot of work. And we struggled with it. And we think we've ended up in a pretty good place. So uh, without further ado... Um, you probably have a lot of questions. Uh, we're going to answer some of these. Um, can Google detect AI content? I have an opinion. I don't have hard facts for you on that one. What kind of hybrid content have we been building? We're totally going to talk about that. The AI state of the union, very timely uh, this time of year. It's not the future. It's already here. You, you already know this. It is white hot right now. It's everywhere. It's especially all over your LinkedIn feeds. I, I particularly like this one because we, here we have someone screenshotting a different person's Twitter thread and putting it on their LinkedIn and getting 1,300 engagements. That's how hot AI is. You can just blatantly plagiarize and uh, get a lot of internet friends. We also, I'm sure everyone here has a ChatGPT account. You can write a haiku. I asked it to make French onion soup. Disagree with that recipe, by the way. You cannot caramelize onions in 30 minutes. 
and we've all heard the doomsday scenarios. Uh, fun fact, this is an AI generated image and I Googled it. I Googled AI image apocalypse. So if we don't think Google's going to find a way to monetize that use case, right? You're in the wrong place. We've all seen these doomsday scenarios. Um, this one is particularly horrifying and, and also a little amusing to me. This is this is not the use case that ChatGPT was designed for. Asking one of the most subtle, nuanced questions in all of ethical theory, of course, ChatGPT does not get this right. Um, also, this is just horrifying. The other doomsday scenario we see a lot comes from creators who have a very vested interest in AI content being terrible. And they have all kinds of examples of AI content being terrible. And it's true. Freelancers can provide something that, that right now AI can't. Uh, a human touch, the ability to really deeply understand an audience, to tell a clear narrative across long-form content, right? These are things that AI struggles with that freelance writers do a great job with. And so the examples of AI really struggling are, are out there. They're everywhere if you look, but that's not necessarily the whole story. There's of course also the doomsday scenario of what can happen to your traffic if you publish AI content. And Mark Williams Cook, who is an excellent top-notch SEO, um, has gotten a lot of mileage out of the screenshot recently on, on LinkedIn because it's terrifying. Um, if you publish a ton of AI content, maybe maybe Google gets you um, and, and gets you good. Then of course, there's the PR disaster as well. Uh, your reputation is on the line, right? And and if if you publish a bunch of AI content and it's terrible, what what happens? Like what you might, even if Google doesn't penalize you, other humans might just decide that you're not so much fun to work with anymore. And that's a major risk as well. Luckily though, we live in the real world, not the doomsday world. And it's easy to see why AI content is so tempting. If you want to take the high road and say, AI content is never going to be good. You you might end up out of business while you wait for one of these doomsday scenarios to befall your competitors. Because AI is cheap. It will produce an infinite number of words for virtually no money. It will do it at any time. It will do it at any place. It will never have thoughts, feelings, ambitions, PTO, uh, uh, death in the family, right? So um, it's always there for you. And it might do what you want it to do. Uh, Megan's going to tell you about some things you also probably already know about AI on the technical side. Yeah, this is just to make sure we're all on the same page for some stuff we'll talk about later. But um, as you may know, almost all AI content right now is created with uh, GPT-3. Uh, GPT-3.5 actually is the latest update from OpenAI that came out when uh, the same time that ChatGPT did. So it's a large language model. Uh, all it has the, the really what I love about GPT-3 is like all it was trained to do is predict the next word, right? It wasn't trained to do something specific like previous AI models were like playing chess or folding proteins or doing anything like this. It was just trained to predict the next word. And as a result of that really simplistic training model, it has all of these emergent abilities, right? It can write an article. It can you know, brainstorm ideas for tweets. It can classify a, a statement as positive or negative. It can, it can do all these things that just, again, emerged out of this being trained to predict the next word. So with that training, it was trained on a enormous data set of, of content from the internet. Um, and because of that, it is really good at creating human sounding text. Um, again, that's what it was trained to do. It was trained to 
predict the next word in a way that sounds like something it has been trained on, something it has read before. So that's the very, very high level overview of how that works. Because of how it works, um, it has some serious limitations, right? It cannot have original thoughts because by definition, again, trained to predict the next word based on what it's seen before, by definition, it's not going to be producing something unique and original. Um, it can't fact check itself. Um, we hopefully are all very aware of this by this point, but it can say things that are blatantly false and it will say them with complete confidence. Uh, so it's, it's sometimes hard to detect when it's saying something false. And sometimes it might even say, you know, according to uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and give you some number that is completely false. Um, relatedly, it won't be citing its sources. If it does happen to say something true, it's not going to be providing you a link to where it got that from. Um, and its training model cut off in early 2022. Uh, so it doesn't do well with talking about super uh, new events or, or current happenings, anything like that. Um, so those are, I would say, the, the major, the biggest limitations, right? Even aside from getting into things like voice, other things like that, uh, these are the big ones. And if you've been active on social media, you probably know that that sets up some pretty clear use cases, both to use human-only content and AI only content, right? And what I think is, first, I think it's worth pointing out, the internet was bad at a bunch of stuff in 1993 that it's very good at today, right? And I, I think the same thing is going to happen with AI. There's a bunch of stuff AI is bad at today that one day it will be very good at, and that's worth keeping in mind. The other thing to note here is this, this list on this slide doesn't represent all content. I, I would argue it actually doesn't even represent most content. Uh, on the internet these days. Um, and what we noticed is it really doesn't represent the content that Verblio tends to build for folks. Um, we work, for example, with local SEO agencies that that need lots of content that is fairly generic or say franchised. So that all pretty much lives outside these two boxes. And, and there's that means there's an opportunity for hybridization. You're probably already using AI, you're doing something with it. And whatever you're doing with it, I'm wondering if it's on your website or not. So first of our pop quizzes, do you use AI today? Uh, I hate webinars where I we sit here and chat for 40 minutes and you glaze over or start checking your email. So um, we're, we're very interested in, in uh, what you all have been doing with AI so far. I'm seeing some yeses in the chat as well. So um, I don't think it's it's a surprise to anyone, right, that so many of the folks in here are are actively using it already. Um, that it's it's truly blown up, right? So uh, we are right there with you. Is the thing, and since Verblio produces so much content. Um, we, we work with a thousand clients, 400 of those are agencies. We produce tens of thousands of pieces of content every month. Our reputation is also at stake. We we have to be producing good stuff. That's that's literally what the business rests on. And we're also competing against free, which is wild. I have, this is not my first rodeo at a startup. And it is definitely my first rodeo where the thing the startup produces all of a sudden has a competitor that is free. Um, 
And on top of that, everyone's quality standards are going up because we've all seen what AI can do. And so that is now table stakes. Full disclosure, I, I think that's a great thing for the world. There is plenty of bad content on the internet. So if everyone's quality standards are going up, that that's just fine with me. We have to figure this thing out. And in my opinion, this is this is the hot take part. This is where the hype train fails. This is where all of your LinkedIn carousels about how 99% of us are doing something wrong don't actually deliver any useful value. Though none of those carousels talk about how to build thousands of articles in a way that still produces something that's high quality. They're about using it to generate a better sales email that I'm still not going to read and I'm still going to discard. Like, so how many of the last 10 pieces that you built delivered on those promises that of, of quality, right? And and so um, we're we're in the same spot. We want to have our cake and eat it too. Thank you, Google, for ruining every great eating pun in every presentation forever. And we said, what are we going to do? We got to work. Uh, we we had to figure this thing out. And so we decided to give AI the benefit of the doubt and try to use it to build content and see if it was good enough. Then we would try, said, we'll, we'll try to edit it. What happens if the AI builds version one and a human comes in and fixes it? That didn't necessarily work either. We'll we'll talk about that experiment in a second. Then we started solving for hybrid, and that's that's where Megan is going to show off all of our all of our work there. We had to identify use cases. We had to figure out how to do it at scale, and then we had to talk about AI detection. And that's the last thing we're gonna. That's where we're gonna kind of wrap things up today. Um, we're gonna actually pull some numbers for you and show you what detection tools are saying about the, our hybrid content. So the the first step. Are the AI writing tools out there today actually good? And I'm gonna turn it over to Megan here. Yeah, so uh, we did a lot of testing with a lot of different AI tools, more than just the ones on this slide even. Um, and we gave them a very kind of fair shake uh, and were disappointed more by some than by others, but uh, to an unreasonable degree with all of them. Uh, and I'm curious, a few of, I noticed a few of you dropping this in the chat now, um, but, I was, we did want to ask to learn specifically what tools y'all are using and which ones you've tried. And similar to the last question, actually, it's, it's fascinating to me how much these results would have been different just a few months ago. Um, we'll see here. Uh, a few months ago, Jasper was far and away the biggest and a lot fewer. I mean, Ryan, we just did a survey of AI with marketers like over the winter before ChatGPT, and it was like, you know, under half of people that were currently using it. So it's cool to see how those numbers have changed. Yeah. And I, I guess I want to chime in that if we're here, we're talking about AI to generate content, write the words, content optimization tools that are based on AI, things like ClearScope, MarketMuse, stuff like that. We've all, I think we've all probably been using those for a while. Those are those are great tools that like, that's not necessarily what we're talking about here with this presentation today. We're talking about like writing the words. Super good point. Yeah, not surprised. Tra Chat Travis, are, can you share us the, share the results? Yeah, right now yeah. it is around 80% ChatGPT and then followed by Jasper, Copy AI, and then other. Cool. Fascinating. 
so I'm going to share just a couple a couple examples from from our testing with these tools. Um, I wanted to write a blog post on content marketing KPIs, and uh, so this was an outline suggestion from Copymatic, which is one of those tools. Um, as you can see, this is a, just a terrible outline. Uh, this would not be a valuable article in any way, and, and I don't not to call out Copymatic specifically. This is indicative of of what you could get from really any of those tools. Um, and uh, just to reiterate what I said earlier, most of these tools, again, are built on top of GPT-3. So they're essentially reskins of the same underlying technology. They will differ in the exact prompts that they use and some of the fine tuning, uh, but you're not gonna get fundamentally different quality from them. Um, so again, this was an outline suggestion, not, not useful in any way, way too generic. Um, and this is one of my favorite bits of AI generated content. And I'm gonna read it aloud because it cracks me up every time. Uh, again, this was an intro paragraph suggestion for a blog post on content marketing KPIs. It's been said, and I didn't write it, that content marketing KPIs are the new SEO. If you're not a math wizard, then you'll have to translate that into language you understand. If this is what it takes to be successful in content marketing today, then take it from someone who always gets an F in math. And you read that paragraph, and it's such a it's just a prime example of the problems of AI content because all of those phrases like on their own sound like something you've read before. They sound like an intro to a, an article, but taken together, they are completely nonsensical. Um, and that's exactly the sort of one of the biggest pitfalls with AI content is that you, you know, if you aren't reading it closely and if you're just skimming things, you know, if you're producing a lot of articles and you're just and you're not taking the time to closely review them, um, you could think like, oh, yeah, this is this is fine. Um, this is very not fine. Again, don't want to call it like nothing bad about copy AI in particular. This is this could is something you could get from any of them, but uh, a great example of kind of the dangers there. Oh, okay. One more tool that I want to call out here uh, because I really, I really appreciate what longshot.ai is doing. So they do, longshot.ai is a tool that also offers, um, you know, like Jasper or copy.ai offers text generation, but they were one of the first to also try to integrate some sort of fact checking, which, as I mentioned, is one of the biggest pitfalls of AI content. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for them for, for trying to tackle that problem. Um, unfortunately, it, it doesn't work at all yet. So that's unfortunate. Uh, you can see here, I tried it with a what I, what I thought would be a, a very softball fact to check and then assumed like, oh, it'll get this one right. And then I'll try it with a more nuanced claim and it will struggle. Well, it, it struggled with the softball. So uh, you can just see there, I tried testing. There are 62 states in the United States of America. What it should have done is told me that that claim is false. Um, instead, it provided me links to sources to presumably cite that fact from. So unfortunate, I'm still going to keep an eye on them to see kind of how they do. Again, I, I, I'm glad that there are tools out there that are trying to tackle the fact-checking problem. Unfortunately, it is just, it's a thorny one. So it, it will take us a while to get there. Okay, so we figured out that AI content straight out of the box isn't, isn't going to be good enough. It's not going to meet our quality standards. What happens if we try to edit that content? Let's say you want to take the plunge. You want to try these AI tools in the most real-world setting possible. So that is the task we assigned Rachel. Rachel's our content marketing manager. She also writes uh, rom-com books for teens and tweens. Most importantly, Rachel's edited more than 6 million words in the past two years for local SEO agencies. She knows how to edit an article for an, for an agency. And we said, go hire Jasper to write an article instead of, say, hiring Verblio, hiring a freelancer, and give it a softball. 
but a realistic softball. And so she said, I, tell me about the best bookstores in Charleston, South Carolina. And Jasper said, here is a great bookstore in Charleston, South Carolina. Then it said, here is a great bookstore in San Francisco. Then it said, here is a Best Buy, a place that sells books. And then it made up five places that don't actually exist. So as we already know, out of the box isn't going to work. So Rachel started editing the same way that she would edit if she got something from a freelancer that wasn't up to snuff. Unfortunately, the green sentence is the part she kept. The rest of it is her own original writing. That's fine. The thing to note here is that the stakes get really high. If you get a mediocre article back from a freelancer and you don't really put your heart and soul into editing it, maybe you're having a bad day. You're still going to have a mediocre article. If you take the article about local bookstores that has five made up places and you don't put your heart and soul into editing it, you end up with something that is really, really wrong. And there's like psychological trauma there for the editor, right? That like the article, whether or not the article is even worth reading is totally dependent on your, your line by line fact checking. So the solution of, well, we can can all our freelance writers, hire a bunch of extra editors and go from there. It doesn't take into account that psychological trauma of the editing process. The good news is, Rachel's edits were still possible and that they only took twice as long. There's like, there was still a measurable time here. So uh, while the content was essentially free, uh, it wasn't something that even with editing was going to be a replicable process, right? Remember, we're trying to do this for thousands of pieces a month. So that brings us back to wanting to have the best of both worlds. These were the two best pop culture references we could find for best of both worlds. I'll let you decide which one's me and which one's Megan. And it took a lot of iteration. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So this is, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, this has been my job for the last six months and I've been loving every step of it. Uh, V1 for us started just me in the, the OpenAI playground, manually playing around with prompts, parameters, figuring out how to produce, how to get a decent article out of it. Um, and you can see this was actually back before the latest OpenAI update. Um, it was using the older model there, but that was that was what it looked, this looked like at first, figuring out, okay, one person, you know, back to what Ryan said, onesies, twosies, how do you make this work? Then we just kept iterating on that model because obviously one person doing this in the playground isn't sustainable with, with the size of our clients and the volume of content that we do at Verblio. Um, so we've been iterating on that, uh, using OpenAI's API to kind of build out a process that we can have our network of professional writers be using. Um, this is what that currently looks like. So we actually use an Airtable interface um, and then there's a whole lot, we've, we've changed the, the interface for the writers. We've also changed so much on the back end um, to get better, to get better results for different clients, different content types, that sort of thing. Um, and this is, this is what it looks like currently. Um, this will keep changing. We already had some massive changes to it just in the last couple of weeks. Um, and we'll continue to do that. I want to, for anyone thinking about, um, you know, experimenting with this on their own, I want to share just some quick learnings that I found, hopefully save you some time. I mentioned experimenting in the playground first. That is far and away the easiest way to figure out a process, a combination of prompts and parameters that works before building it out in the API. You'll just save yourself a lot of headache there. 
Um, the text DaVinci 003 model is the latest and greatest from OpenAI. Again, that's based on the GPT 3.5 update. Um, a couple things about prompt engineering. Providing a sample of what you're looking for is much more effective than describing what you want. Um, so if you give it a sample article or you even just give it the, maybe the first couple sentences of an introductory paragraph uh, to get it to you know, emulate your voice, that's gonna be a lot more effective than just trying to describe your voice to it. Um, remember what it was trained to do. It was trained to predict the next word. Make sure you're giving it enough context to do that accurately. Um, Keeping your max tokens low, that is a setting that um, you can play with in the playground as well as in the API that limits the amount of text that it will generate at one time. Um, and what we found was that keeping that low kept it from going off the rails. Because if you let the AI go for too long on its own without some human intervention to, to guide it and steer it, it's gonna devolve pretty quickly, whether that's talking about nonsensical things you'll be more likely to run into spelling and grammar and punctuation issues. Sometimes it just decides punctuation is like not a thing after about 600 words. Um, so would highly recommend that. And also tiny details really matter, especially when you're working with it at scale through the API. The number of times that our CTO and I were on a call trying to figure out what was going wrong. And it was, I'm, I kid you not, the, the case of an extra space in the prompt or an issue with a word being capitalized versus not. Um, it's, it's funny in retrospect, it was so frustrating at the time that it figured this out, especially when you're used to working with code that, you know, does the same thing every time when you're working with large language models, they're probabilistic. You're not going to get the same results every time. So even trying to troubleshoot things, uh, is a, is a whole nother level of, of, uh, frustration. Um, I also want to call out getting it to write a certain number of words is something that AI is not particularly good at. Um, and so our solution, what we found really works best for that is to, to make your outline a lot more granular and include a lot more of the sections than you would if you were giving that same outline to a human writer. Um, again, this just goes back to really providing guidance for the AI. So instead of just using a single heading and assuming that the human's gonna cover the relevant things under that, give further bullet points to the AI on what it should talk about in each of those sections. Um, to help it stay on track and also produce more words on the topics you actually want it to talk about. And then finally, OpenAI has seen so much more traffic over the last couple of months. Um, since ChatGPT, you are uh, like 100 times more likely to run into outages. So if you are building your business on this um, and are reliant on OpenAI for creating content and being dependable and reliable when you're there, have some safeguards in place. We've been we've been doing a lot of making a lot of changes to our process for that specific problem. Is just you're much more likely to, to get an error back than you were say six months ago when you were working with it. Um, and so just be aware of that and and keep that in mind when you're building content with this. And this is what our flow looks like now. Um, so I, I showed that interface um, a couple slides ago. But this is, this is kind of how it works uh, conceptually. We get uh, a content brief from one of our clients that goes both to the AI and to our human writer. Um, our AI will suggest outline points. The human will actually curate the final outline, also taking into account preferences from the brief, from the customer, anything like that. The AI will write a section. The human will edit that section. The AI will write the next section. The human will edit that. 
they go back and forth until the, the article is done. And then the human edits and reviews the final content, again, going back to the brief, keeping in mind any SEO considerations or things like that. Um, and if you take nothing else away from this presentation, I wanna call out the, the two most important parts of this are the human uh, curating the outline. Again, the human needs to be deciding what is going into the article. That is, that is huge. That should not be left up to the robot. And then that back and forth. So if you put in a little bit of human time editing the intro paragraph, rewriting that, again, focusing on especially on voice and tone, um, you're going to see those, the effects of that kind of propagate through the rest of the paragraphs that the AI generates, and it will save you editing time down the line, as well as just producing a better article overall. Um, so those are, the, again, two most important things, curating the outline and that back and forth. And uh, I can vouch for everything Megan just said, because I have volunteered to be one of the humans doing this. Um, like I said, I'm a big content nerd. And I think as a director of content marketing, this is this is my job to, to figure this stuff out. Like I, I have to know how this stuff works. And uh, being, being in the weeds with this was fascinating. It was wild. Um, just put bottom line up front. I, I found that by the end of this thing with some practice, I can edit one of these. I can build one of these about twice as fast as I can build a similar article on my own with no help whatsoever. So the, from a results perspective, like this thing works, the, the brief matters as it always does, whether you're freelancing or, or using AI, um, the, the biggest thing I, I found I was doing in the back and forth section was checking the brief. Did the AI actually address the brief? If it didn't add a sentence or two from just pure human content to, to make sure that the brief was met and hope that the AI did a better job in the next paragraph. Those, those outline points, um, to get 500 words, I'll probably have a dozen outline points. I'll have the AI generate close to 700 words, and then I'll trim. Um, other folks uh, that, you know, on our team have have taken the opposite approach. They've gone light on the outline, tried to get the AI to build like 350 words, and then add to it. I think it's easier to cut. Um, that that might be a personal preference thing, right, with the editing. The That that back and forth Megan mentioned is, is so, so important because we, it, the AI very much takes that into account. If, for example, one of the clients we built this stuff for really wants short sentences, doesn't ever want long sentences in their content. The AI has a tendency to write run on sentences. So by clipping those and breaking them up in the first two paragraphs, by the time the AI is generating paragraphs three, four, and five, it writes in shorter sentences. Um, it is smart enough to do that, but it wouldn't have done that if I didn't go back and edit it paragraph by paragraph as we were building it. So those editing learnings look look a lot like this. And generating multiple outlines is, is where this starts. So our, our system builds two, has, has the AI generate two outlines. I cannot think of a single, I've done dozens of these now. I can't think of a single time when I used bullets from only one of the pre-generated outlines. I also can't think of a time where I didn't come up with bullets on my own. So I'll pick a few bullets from one of the AI suggested outlines, a few bullets from the other, and then add a few of my own, and then have each of those represent a paragraph that uh, um, GPT is going to generate for me. And then, as I mentioned, build more than you need. The other editing piece, I often found myself synthesizing paragraphs. The AI has a tendency to, to think that a sentence and a half is, is worthy of its own paragraph. But if I take two or three of those, because I've generated more outline points than I need and combine them, maybe with a sentence or two of my own in the middle, I'll end up with a paragraph that, that sounds pretty good. 
Um, and then fact checking. This is part of the editing process when you're working with AI generated content. It has to be. And I Googled. It's exactly what a freelance writer would do. Um, so no, no shockers or surprises there. That got us into a place where we needed to scale this thing and figure out how to use it to build a lot of content. Also, what's funny, Ryan, is I realized this morning that like this slide will change for us literally week by week as we yeah. figure out more use cases with, with more clients here. And um, so kind of our initial, the initial problems that we were tackling um, were between four and a thousand words for clients. And we were doing, um, focusing a lot on kind of local and franchised content across a ton of verticals. Um, so originally kind of our, our initial process worked, it was pretty industry agnostic but did really focus on shorter form content and that more uh, local and franchise, we are already expanding uh, the use cases from this slide. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, we're gonna be working on doing some 1500 word posts, uh, 1500 word articles soon. We're gonna be expanding into some more uh, online publisher content and, and figuring that out. Um, and it's what's been really cool is like every time I'm, I'm on a call with a new prospective client for this, um, there's usually some new wrinkle that we need to figure out, um, whether it's in their, you know, how they want their content formatted um, or what their industry is or something like that. And it's super, it's super fun for me to get to figure out, okay, how do we need to tweak this pretty general purpose process um, to meet this specific need? So continuing to iterate on that and then often learning things that we can apply across the other verticals and or with our, with our human only content as well. Yeah, that's that's definitely worth worth a second call out. This is all happening alongside the human content that we're continuing to build. So we we already know how to build human only content at this scale, and that that process, that whole product line, is continuing. The other thing I'd call out here is if you have one takeaway from from our hybrid hybrid process, it's we didn't take an AI and use it to help make human only content faster. And we didn't take AI content and try to fix it on the uh, uh, at the end. This is totally intertwined, and we through all of our experimentation that that is like the the thing we just keep coming back to over and over and over again. You get the most bang for your buck when you go back and forth. Uh, so if if there's one piece of the like AI assisted world that you take away, I, I'd say it should be that. And then a quick uh, interjection, um, Ryan and Megan, we have a question that keeps kind of popping up. Is some clarification around what you mean by editing paragraph by paragraph. Yeah. Um, so what I what I alluded to earlier when I mentioned only having the AI generate a bit at a time and not letting it write a full article at once, how we how we build our articles with this process is we we feed it, we essentially feed the the AI kind of one outline heading at a time. And so what it does is it will write the intro and it will return that to the human writer. The human writer will edit that intro and then add the next heading. And the AI will then write that next section, return it to the human, the, the human will edit that next section and then continue on through the article. So again, as Ryan mentioned, if you um, make edits for you know shorter sentences or something like that, or again, to change the voice early on, the AI will then have those changes to use as it's writing those later paragraphs. Um, but that's how we're, we, we're building this is kind of one basically outline item at a time. Does that clarify that, hopefully? I can give you an example. 
So buyer beware how to avoid window replacement scams. I was the editor on that piece. And so I, I had it write an introduction about window replacement scams. Then I edited it because the intro was pretty bland. Then I had it write a paragraph about what are window replacement scams. Like I didn't actually, I like uh, many millennials, I continue to rent a townhouse instead of owning a home. So I, I don't know what a window replacement scam is. But like a freelance writer, I needed to find out. So I had it write that paragraph. I went and checked. Then I went and fixed that paragraph. Then I had it write about tactics in window replacement scams. So I had it write a paragraph about high pressure sales tactics. Then I edited that. Then I had it write a paragraph about, um, uh, oh, fake short-term warranties, right? That are another form of window replacement scam, right? So literally back and forth one paragraph at a time, editing at each step. But when you're only editing a hundred words at a time, as an experienced writer, that was pretty quick, right? I didn't spend, I didn't agonize over those hundred words for, for 10 minutes. I spent 90 seconds and was like, great, fix that, move that, done. N generate the next thing. Um, and to Matt's question, uh, just to clarify, yes, we're so we're sending back the full edited article as the prompt for the AI to generate the next piece. As you can awesome. see, thanks for that. As, as you can see, these these other these other titles, this is pretty standard content, right? These look like articles that appear on the internet and they don't look like thought leadership and they don't look like something that a content mill is gonna spit out with any kind of quality. So producing these kinds of things at quality is our bread and butter. And it's something that uh, has really worked well with this hybrid approach. So before we run out of time, results. Uh, this is where I wish I had 40 slides of beautiful Google Analytics uh, screenshots to show you. We don't, in part, that's because the content's very new. That piece that was on the last slide that, about window replacement scams I, I wrote two weeks ago, it hasn't had a chance to rank yet. Um, the other piece of that is we don't have access to our our clients' clients' uh, search console and analytics data. Like that's just not something that we have access to. Um, it's something that we're, we're working into some agreements. So my hope is that one day we get to share those graphs with you, uh, but not something we have today. Megan, what what else is there to say on that? I mean, yeah, we don't have the results for our, our human only content either. Again, for the reasons you said, we work with agencies. We don't we don't have access to their clients' data, unfortunately. We we did learn a lot though, and some of what we learned had to do with the the team. Um, and and so, Megan, I'll let you you cover this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So in for with one of our first beta clients for this, actually, um, they they actually worked with us on this project because we provided them samples through this process and it was better than what they were currently getting from their human only content vendors. Um, so that was the kind of the first major qualitative win for this. It was like, okay, we are producing something better than what people might be getting from other vendors or freelancers. Um, at this point, we have a few dozen of our writers and editors trained on this process. And that is that is significant because this is, this is different than a normal writing process, right? Um, even already among freelance writers, you know, they recognize the difference between being a writer and being an editor. And this is a very, requires some very specific editing with attention to a few key, really important things like fact-checking, ensuring that the, the article actually makes sense logically, things like that. Um, so at this point, we've got quite a few trained on that and we're, we're adding to that pool every week um, as we scale this up. On the efficiency side, um, as Ryan mentioned earlier, the average article takes about twice as fast through this process. Um, the other exciting piece for us and for anyone who's ever worked with, with freelancers is we've had every single piece completed on time, which again, we're doing hundreds of pieces every week uh, just for, for these few clients right now. 
Um, so that's a, a big win for us. And that last bullet point, I, I want to explain what we mean there. Our writers have reported that instead of spending the majority of their time simply getting words on a page, they're actually spending more time on really improving the quality of that piece. So they're able, because they're not just spending their time on some of those more rote pieces of, again, getting the basics, you know, the, the, the bare bones of an article, they're actually able to put more time into doing things that only a human could do. Um, maybe that's, you know, really making sure the EEAT is, is present and accounted for, um, making sure the voice is, is what the client wants, those things, they're able to put more time into that because they're spending less time on the, the rote pieces of the work. In, in my case, that's deleting Oxford commas because we have a client that doesn't want Oxford commas and I, I love Oxford commas. Okay, so what did we get out of this experiment of, of producing thousands of, of blogs here? Um, everything we do for the human-only content, we also do for this stuff. The the fact-checking, the in, infusing voice, the paying attention to briefs and style guides, even when they don't include Oxford commas. The speedy delivery piece, this is, this is all Megan, but this required a lot of custom workflows. Yes. And, and our advantage here was that we had already built out a lot of these, again, for our human content. But so we, we were working with, you know, every client has different preferences on, on how they want their content delivered. And um, we work with different writer pools for all of these different clients. And so figuring that out on the back end, automating that as much as possible, um, being able to send content directly to our client's CMS, um, and also having our team that's, again, just used to working with content at this volume. So managing things like write, managing writers, managing deadlines, managing the briefs, all of that sort of thing was a really important part when you're doing it at this level of scale. And then that final bullet point, as I already mentioned, training up our, our writers to specifically be working with the AI and recognizing the ways in which they need to both mitigate the AI's weaknesses and the ways in which they can add the most value to a piece of content. Um, so that's been a, a fun nuanced thing to explore. It's it's amazing how what a hybrid job that is. It's very meta that it's a hybrid thing for hybrid content, but it, it is both writing and editing. Okay, let's talk about detecting AI content and AI detection tools. Uh, here we do have some cool graphs to show you. Uh, so here, Megan was going to talk about our tech stack, and then I'll talk about the graphs. Yeah. So um, we are currently using originality.ai. Um, and we actually are running this on every single submission that goes through our platform, both from our hybrid content and from our, our human-only content. Um, we've tried a lot of different tools. Originality.ai is the one that we found that works the best. Um, most of these AI detection tools will return a percentage value, which, just to be clear, is not the percentage of content that they think was generated by AI, by AI in an article. It is the percentage likelihood of that article being produced by AI. So if you see, you know, 50%, it doesn't mean half of it was generated by AI. No, no, that's, that's not what that means. Um, OpenAI does have a new tool. Um, they don't have an API for that one yet, which is why we're not able to use that one at scale. Again, we're doing this at massive volume, but originality.ai is the best one we found. And the important thing here is that none of these tools are, are perfect by any means. And so when you're using, running them on just one or two pieces, the results are not gonna be that significant. Fortunately, because of our marketplace, we can run thousands of tests. Um, we can also run hundreds of tests per writer and see trends across that, right? Because you could have a whole human-only piece score very highly through one of these tools. You could also have a pure AI piece score low. So being able to do it at volume and identifying trends that way 
um, is how we're able to actually make those results valuable. And, and also, again, running them across clients in that too. And to some extent, it's subjective, right? If you get a 50% score, it, it means that this tool thinks it's a coin flip. Um, that does lead to some false positives along the way, just as with plagiarism checkers uh, in, in the same way. So fun graphs. Content that yeah. is 100% produced by AI tends to score 90 plus. So we've set 80% as our threshold. And um, Megan, you can talk about our what happens when we put the HCAI content through through this checking process. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our initial HCAI content, so I mentioned our process for this has, has changed. We used to not have quite so much the back and forth between the human and the AI. And initially, just through our prompt engineering and how we, we set up the model, we were able to get um, around a 74% uh, likelihood of AI just with the first draft before the human reviewed it. Um, after the human reviewed it and with our current process now where there is that back and forth, so there's more human being added throughout the entire process, we are averaging around a 34%. Um, and so again, these are averages on an individual piece, right? They can vary, as we mentioned, false positives and that, um, but we're pretty stoked about that and, and also working to keep seeing how we can continue bringing that down. Okay, I want to be really clear about these next two graphs. So we took all of the content that gets submitted to Verblio's platform in the first week of January for each of these years. So 150th of our total content, still thousands of pieces, and asked originality.ai to show us the median AI score for, for these. So again, this is pretty low. In 2019, not many people are using AI to build content. And again, a median score of 4% means, yes, half the scores were above 4%, but a 10% likelihood that it was generated by AI almost certainly means the piece was not generated by AI. So what this graph is saying is of this content we received in the first week of January in 2019, vir virtually none of it, likely none of it was AI. Enter ChatGPT, November, 2022. And you can see that there are a lot of writers, unscrupulous folks who are trying to submit AI generated content to our marketplace. Um, those people are all banned because we caught them and we immediately disabled their accounts. So uh, this is the kind of work that AI detection is playing in, in uh, doing in our workflow. Um, and again, even on this 2023 data point, it's almost all tied to a very small group of writers who are submitting only AI content with no editing. Again, we banned them. This is the same showing the same thing. So this is the number of posts with greater than 80% detection score. You can see that there are false positives. I, I don't think more people were using AI to generate content and try to slip it past us in 2020 than in 2021. I, that, that wouldn't make sense. Um, and these numbers are still quite low overall. So, and this is why we run it through the checker. Um, we, we, and, and I think this is more and more important for people who are purchasing content, no matter where they're purchasing it from. There's a, a real likelihood or, or maybe not likelihood, but possibility that what you're getting might be generated by AI now, um, given the ubiquity of these tools. Uh, our last slide before we sum things up and answer some questions, we did want to try OpenAI's new tool, right? It's their OpenAI is leading the way on some of this stuff. And uh, while it doesn't have an API, so we can't run thousands of pieces, we, we ran three dozen. We took three dozen pieces that originality told us were likely AI, three it wasn't, uh, a dozen it wasn't sure about, and a dozen it said were probably not. We put them through OpenAI's classifier. Only one instance 
of originality saying probably AI and open AI saying probably not. A bunch of instances though of open AI saying maybe this is AI generated content and originality saying, oh no, this is probably AI content. So again, this is only 30 something pieces, but based on this small sample size, we think that probably originality might be checking a little harder or, or coming up with a erring on the side of being harsher. I'm, I'm already into some hot takes that Megan is like, I don't know if you can say that. I, I would say what I appreciate about OpenAI is they are very clear with their tool and the limitations. And I, I, I think they are being overly cautious on that front, which is also, I think, probably why they haven't released an API yet for it. They've, they've said like this is to spark conversation around you know the provenance of content and all of that which is interesting but um yeah i do appreciate the the rigor of originality.ai on these just because it it then gives us the tools to do those manual reviews right because that's that is what it takes in all these cases as well um taking these score but if a human reviews it they can also add in their judgment on on where that content likely is coming from okay so the obligatory summary slide AI-only content has costs. It looks very, very cheap, but everything from traumatizing your editors to extra time to downtime with OpenAI's system, um, it, it's it's not as cheap as it looks. And hybrid content can, can be the, the best of both worlds, um, but you got to put humans in throughout the process. It has to be a true back and forth, true marriage. Uh, you can't just edit the thing at the end and expect to, to get what you're after. So far, we found that local franchised content is the best stuff under a thousand words, but that almost any industry can find success with hybrid content. Uh, as Megan said, we're testing new use cases all the time. Legal stuff is, is one of the things on, next on our list. So um, the hope is that this list gets a lot longer pretty quick. And you got to have custom workflows to make this thing work at scale. Um, that's, that's the like 10 second summary. Megan, what did I leave out before we take questions? I think you nailed it. We're good for questions. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you go, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first question is, how do you handle the need for subject matter experts um, to know what you're talking about, like in the outline and how you talk about it? Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is something we kind of had already solved with our human-only content, which is just we have a very large marketplace of writers with industry expertise in dozens of different different industries. Um, and so we're able to to pair our clients with the writers that are familiar with their subject matter. Awesome. Cool. And then we got another question. Um, Carrie kind of asked, what sources online become the source of truth for fact checking citations um, if so much content becomes AI generated? That's that's a great question. <laughs> I think that in the in the long term, that's going to become a, a bigger problem. For now, when when I'm editing this stuff, I'm looking at the same sources I would look at if I wanted this information myself. I I actually in one of the pieces I edited, I added a link to the Mayo Clinic. Like I was like, that is a trusted source and relevant. Cool. And another question um, from Jeanette: How do you get around that AI can't cite sources? I'm assuming you just, you just add them at the end after the content's already been completed. Yeah, that's in the human step because again, uh, you a human needs to be checking any claims that the AI is making anyway, and so as they're checking those claims, they're able to add in sources um, for for referencing those claims. But again, that that is definitely a purely human piece at this point. 
would love it if we could figure out some way to, to automate some of that work. But at this point, it's, it's on the human checklist. Awesome. And then uh, one of the questions came in about the tweet that showed the screenshot of the Google Search Console um, dashboard where they just had a significant drop in traffic. They're kind of asking, what do you think happened? Um, so my understanding with that that screenshot is that there was a that Mark Williams Cook was working with a client who pub batch published like ten thousand pieces of AI content, and within a couple of weeks, everything crashed to zero, uh, zero traffic. Like Google clearly penalized that that website. Um, I would honestly recommend connecting with him on LinkedIn and asking more about that specific use case because uh, he's great at this stuff, and. He can also cite, I know he's also cited examples where he's published large numbers of pages in the past and not been penalized, which is what led him to believe that the AI content was the culprit there. Um, if he as an SEO did the same process and the only variable was who wrote the contents, then yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Awesome. And this is actually the last question. Another question from Jeanette. Um, she asked, can you tell... Or what can you tell about the content that is being detected as potential AI? And then she's kind of talking about the writers that submitted content to Verblio and you removed them from the platform. But was there something that kind of stood out or was it just you weren't asking for AI content and they submitted AI content? For us, it's it's important that if our customers are paying for human-only content, that that's what they're getting, right? Um, our, our hybrid solution we offer, it is cheaper than our human-only content. Um, and because it's, it doesn't take as much time to produce. Um, so for us, it's just a matter of, I mean, honestly, reputation and brand risk and, and quality there of like ensuring that, okay, again, our customers trust us to provide human only content. Um, and we are very clear with our writers as well, that that's what we expect simply because for, in most cases, if they're submitting AI content, it simply isn't meeting our quality standards, right? It's, it's not necessarily about the AI per se, but we've seen that this AI, when they're generating AI content on their own through, you know, Jasper or another tool and not going through the process that we've kind of built out that I, that we've identified as actually creates quality content. Um, if they're not doing that and they're just using these tools on their own, often the, the quality just isn't there regardless of how it was produced. Cool. Helpful. And then this actually might be the last question. Um, Vera sent in uh, what's a typical turnaround time for this type of content? I know Ryan, you said it cuts your kind of delivery time in half. Um, but as far as like how many hours specifically do you kind of see saving from using AI content? Uh, I, I saw this question in the, in the chat too. So a 500 word post about window replacement scams for me was 45 minutes to an hour before, and now it's 25 to 30 minutes. Um, which is pretty quick. Uh, it helps that the brief is systematized. And I saw that question in the chat too. M Megan, can you say a couple of things about how we're structuring the brief for the AI? Ah, uh, yes. Um, so well, currently we're getting, we're getting our briefs from our clients and those, those vary, right? We haven't standardized those. We haven't, you know, forced, uh, our clients briefs into any set format. Uh, what we're providing the AI is we're providing a few key pieces of information about the business um, and we're providing um, any sort of uh, guidance that they have on the outline or that. But a lot of the stuff, a lot of the details in the brief will be up to the, the human writer to incorporate. Um, so 
if there are SEO preferences, if there's other, you know, other formatting preferences, if there's things, you know, we've had clients who say, you know, okay, I want to, I want an article on this, but don't mention this, you know, maybe in the case of, of a, a roofing contractor, they don't want to mention a certain type of roof that they don't provide. Um, you can't tell the AI not to talk about specifically like that. So that's where that human comes in. So a lot of the brief is up to the human. There are some just key pieces of standard pieces of information we pull out of that around like business, business type, um, geographic location, things like that, that for the most part, we just take what the client gives us and give it to the writer. And, and so curating that outline is part of my 30 minutes. Um, that is the thing that I've gotten fastest at. Uh, the editing kind of is the editing, but I'm much faster at uh, picking and choosing outline points uh, than I was the first article I did. Wow, that's awesome. Well, thanks everybody for taking time out of your day um, to join us and definitely big thanks to uh, Ryan and Megan for delivering such an insightful webinar. Um, please give them a shout on LinkedIn. I'll drop their um, profiles in chat. Um, but Ryan, Megan, do you have anything else to add before we give everyone their time back? Just this was a blast. Thanks everybody for showing up for listening. And uh, by all means, check out our other uh, our other AI related experiments. Um, and yeah, connect on LinkedIn. We'd love to chat more about it. Awesome. Yeah, I can talk about this all day. So <laughs> thanks for that. Now, before we wrap this up, don't forget to share, like, and subscribe so you don't miss out on more great content from the industry's best SEOs, content marketers, and content strategists. The ClearScope webinar series happens every week and helps SEO content creators of all skill levels advance their knowledge. Hope to see you tune in next time.